You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not inactive from our lives, that you are with us. And as we focus even today of looking at the Christmas store, the, the biggest piece is that you came to dwell among your people, to bring redemption and renew our hearts and stir our affections for you. So God, we thank you so much today that we get to stand in this place as a family and worship you for who you are. And we thank you for what you're going to do here today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen and amen. You guys can be seated. I love this time of year. I love the Christmas story. And um, I don't know about you, but it just never gets old, right? It just knowing what God has done for us and what, what it means for us um, in this season. Um, I read a thing this week that says that you cannot separate Christmas from Easter or Good Friday because the, the baby that was crying in the manger was the same one that would cry, it is finished, on the cross. And the same baby who was sleeping would raise from the dead as a man. And so we can't separate the two, so we have to keep focus of why he came. So we've been in this series discussing who Jesus is. Because we've heard the Christmas story a thousand times, haven't we? But we never really stopped to ask the question of who, who is Jesus? Who is he? So we're in the series called He Is, and in week one we learned from Matthew chapter one that he is history. This is all his story. Everything is his story. It's a timeline from, from Genesis chapter one all the way to today. This is a timeline of Jesus. So it's, it's history. Last week we talked about Mary and how Jesus was a promise fulfilled from the Old Testament, from the prophets, that for a long time they were waiting and longing for the coming Messiah just to come and to, to free the people of their sin, to free the people, to, to have this connection with God again. They, they were longing and waiting, and sadly many of those are still waiting for the Messiah because they missed the coming one. But today I, I want to focus on, on another piece that, yeah, he's the promise fulfilled, but here's the, the other one today, is that he is also before all things. He is before all things today. The book of Colossians Chapter 1, verses 17, it says, And he is before, let's say this with me, he's before what? And in him all things hold together. If you're trying to figure out why your life is in pieces and in shambles, where's Jesus at? Because he's the thing that holds all things together. He is to be before all things. And when we read this verse, there, there's a priority of the working order of who Jesus is. He needs to be before every decision that we make, every financial decision that we make, every friendship that we take on. Jesus needs to be before all things. Because when he is before all things, everything holds together. It's, it's the glue. You know what I'm saying? Like, very clearly, Paul here is telling us some things that he's learned along the way when he's writing this letter to the church of Colossae. That he's saying, listen, I know that things aren't going well. I know that you're facing persecution. Like, we think that we're facing persecution. We have no clue 
what persecution is until you step into the Roman world of what the early church was going through. And he's telling them, listen, Jesus is before all things. It's going to be really easy for you to want to jump ship and to leave and to not do this anything, anymore. And you feel like everything's falling apart. But if you will center yourself in who Jesus is and put him before everything, put him before your suffering, put him before your joy and make him the priority. Things will work out the way that he has designed them to work out. Now, wouldn't that be a great concept if we could all just do that? If the entire world could do that. Now, here's the thing. That's the way that it was set in the very beginning. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, God created and said, it is, what is that word? It was good. Everything was working the way that it was supposed to. Because the world had prioritized God to be the thing that was before all things. He was the thing that would hold all things together. If we look in the scriptures, the one that would exemplify this more than anything, who knew that Jesus indeed was before all things, we would have to go to John the Baptist. He's a kind of a rough guy, probably a Berkeley County kind of guy. He wore animal skins, ate locusts, ate some honey, didn't matter. Grasshopper jumped by, he'd grab it, slap it between two pieces of bark, and eat it with his honey. That was, that's who he was. He preached the same sermon over and over again. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What's John preaching on the day? We're in the same series. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he would spend his ministry going up and down the Jordan, proclaiming the name of Jesus, telling the people of the coming Messiah, and baptizing them into the faith. So he's an example of, of what the scripture looks like. But, but even for John, it started for John, not at his birth, but even before he was born, his purpose was set out before him. If we look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it says that John, he, he didn't say his name, but it's, it's talking about John. It's a prophecy of John. It says, there's a voice that cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert this highway for our God. That was his sermon. This is what John preaches over and over in the never-ending series of his sermons is he is being told from Isaiah that there's one that's going to come that is going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to preach the message. He's going to make straight the pathways in the desert for the coming of the Lord. Malachi picks up on this same thing in his prophecy in chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. It says, Behold, he says, Behold, I'm going to, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, and least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. See, many people believe in this scripture, even though it says Elijah, the people felt like Elijah was John the Baptist, which that's a whole different weird thing that John the Baptist was John the Baptist and Elijah was Elijah, but people tried to put them into one, one thing. There's a whole theology out there. Um, you can read it if you like, but it's probably not worth your time. Um, <clears throat> So John the Baptist is being pointed to in the scriptures that this, this guy, there's going to be one coming who is not the Messiah. See, John knew his place. John knew he was just a spokesman. He, 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 was, he was not the guy, but he was the guy pointing to the guy. So, so he knew right out the gate. His father, Zechariah, knew in Luke chapter 1, in verse 16, it says this, and this is Zechariah. His father's working in the temple, and he goes into the temple, 
and he hears a voice from an angel, and shockingly, it says that he was scared for his life. Um, me too. Anybody else? Like that happened? Like you're minding your business, angel just appears and starts talking to you. Um, he starts talking to, to Zachariah, and he's telling him that, hey, you, God has heard what you had to say. I'm the angel Gabriel. I've heard um, from God to give you this, this word that he's heard what you said. He's going to give you a son. He's going to give you a son. And, and, and it's just the prophecy that the angel begins giving to Zechariah. He says, and he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You remember that verse we just read in Malachi? Does this sound familiar? The angel is giving him the same prophetic word from the Old Testament here in the New Testament. And he's going to be given the same power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the descendant, and to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people for the Lord. This is, now if you're a dad and the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child and this is what he's going to do, you got success right out of the gate. <laughs> my guy, my, my son has been marked. He has been ready. That verse will go on to say in verse 18 and 19 that the angel says, listen, that he will, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. When he's born, he's going to come out filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed and ready to go. He has a calling on his life. This is why when Mary comes to Elizabeth to share the news that she's pregnant, Mary didn't even have to tell her because John began jumping and moving within her womb in a way of celebration, acknowledging that the Savior had come. And so Zechariah is, is getting this prophecy, this word about his son. So in, in utero, he, he hopes and, and leaps for joy. Then we get to Matthew chapter 11. And he says this, Truly I say to you, among these born of women, there was, has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Before John, there was word that there was one coming. Now this can get in your head. Because we have a way of allowing authority and power to completely remove humility from our lives. And we let power go to our heads. Y'all ever been around people like that? I'm not going to ask you personally because I don't want to embarrass you. Because I know we have all been there, haven't we? That we, we've been in those places to where we've allowed some form of authority uh, to take reign. I remember I got to be a hall monitor for a day when I was in school. I was a really bad one to the rest of the student body. But I was a really good one for the school. Spit out your gum. Where's your hall pass? Could you imagine me asking bigger kids than me? Because I was small and still short. But could you imagine me going up to big athletes telling them I needed to see their hall pass? That didn't work, in case you're wondering. It didn't work. Know your role. Just because you're given a sash doesn't mean that you can go rule the school, right? You find yourself taped, duct taped to a bathroom stall wall is what will happen. Um, not in my case, because I was fast. I could run. But I want to look at John chapter 1. And, and we're going to look at this chapter and break it down in some pieces. But, but I want to read this. And, and this is the testimony of John. This is the testimony of John when the, the Jews sent priests... And they sent the Levites from Jerusalem. Now the Levites are from the tribe of Levi. And the only ones that could be real priests were from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? 
And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. See, John knew who he was. Like they, they heard of John's ministry. They saw all that John was doing. And they said, listen, hey, who is this guy? Let's send the priest from the temple and let's go ask who he is. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? There's the confusion from the passage in Malachi. He said, I'm not. They said, are, are you the prophet? And he answered them. He said, no, I'm, I'm not the prophet either. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. So we, we've been sent here on a task and we've got to return with an answer. So what do you say about yourself? They tell John. And John said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? And John answered them, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one that you do not know. Even if he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even unworthy, I'm not even worthy enough to untie it. He says that these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Interesting story. John, John quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Who are you? I am the one. I am the voice in the wilderness. Now, imagine reading this passage in Isaiah because the only testament they had to read was the, the Old Testament, the Torah and the Tanakh, and they're, and they're reading it, and John's reading Isaiah 40 going, that's me. That's the prophecy about me. Dad's sitting at the temple, and they're reading Isaiah 40, and he goes, that's my son. This is about my boy. And so he owns this verse, and he says, listen, I know my role. My role is to be the voice. I'm the background. I'm the background in this situation. And John knew his, he knew his place. He knew that this scripture was about him, and he's being questioned. And he says, listen, it's not about me. It's about the one who comes after me. You don't even know him yet. But let me tell you, in just a short while, you will. Because he's going to rock every foundation of everything that you believed. And he's the coming Messiah. And it's going to cause a rift with some of you. Some of you are going to want to have him murdered. And some of you are going to fall flat on your face and worship him for who he is. But he says, I'm the voice bringing that. He says, it's not about me. John wasn't about to take credit for something that he didn't do. You ever, you ever been there too? Like you've taken credit for something you didn't do? Remember seat pro, uh, group projects in school? Like you always wanted to position yourself to the right team to the kids that had the smarter grades because they would expect less from you because they're not going to turn in a bad project and they're also not going to rat you out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't act like I'm the only one that did that because nobody was wanting to be on Robbie's team when it came to group projects. John's not taking the credit for what's about to happen. He, he's learned to, to point he says, I'm baptizing, I'm preaching. John's ministry is growing. People are showing up. Everywhere he goes, people show. He preaches the same sermon. People accept this message. They get baptized. He goes to the next place. It just repeats. And he's, he's experiencing a lot of growth, a lot of growth around this movement. And that can quickly go to one's head. But he, but he continuously reminds himself that the reason that I'm where I'm at is because God has placed me in this place. I know my purpose. I know my role. 
And he doesn't let in complacency, he doesn't let this get in the way. He, he finds himself centered in his calling of who Jesus has called him to be. And his anointing. So here he goes, he's, he's preaching and one day his cousin Jesus comes to be baptized and John says, listen, this is the guy. It's not me, it's this guy right here. Now how, how interesting that these men were sent to go ask a question and John says, I'll answer your question but I'll one up it. I'll actually show you the answer to the question. So behold, here is the Lamb of God. This is the guy. This is the Lamb who takes away the sin of all of the world. Now what John is doing here is he is telling them the very purpose of why Jesus has come. The very purpose. This is, this is the Messiah. And, and he's come, he's the Lamb, and he has come to take away the sin of the world. Here is your answer. This is what you came looking for. Because everything from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of Malachi has been pointing to this moment. This moment. The Jews have been waiting on this very moment. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God creates. Everything's great. Everything's good. The world is working as it is supposed to. There's no marital conflicts. The God didn't, Adam didn't forget to put the toilet seat down. I mean, everything is going well. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And the enemy comes in. And he offers something else other than what God has for Adam and Eve. And she takes the fruit while he watches, by the way. We missed that part of the story. And sin enters the world and everything that was good is now corrupt. And it's not working in the way that it's supposed to. They, they sin. Their first thing is that they realize that they have done wrong. They run. They hide behind a tree. They realize that neither one of them are clothed. And now they're embarrassed because they didn't have that problem before. Now they do. And here they are hiding behind a bush. And the Bible says that God is walking through the garden. And he finds them in this game of hide and seek. And he calls them out and he tells them, what did you do? Like, what happened? You had everything. And you allowed the enemy to come in and question you. And question everything that I've taught you. And you fell for it. And here you are hiding behind a bush. And they said that we're naked. He said, well, how'd you know that? The only way you would know that had you sinned. So before God moved Adam and Eve out of the garden, he covered them. And this will be the first time that bloodshed has been made for the sin of the people in Genesis chapter 3. He covers their shame and their humility. And he sends them out. And now they're gone. They're, they're out of the garden. Everything that was good. He makes these garments for them. Then we fast forward the store and we get to Israel. The, Isra the, the Israelites are, are in Egypt and they've been there for years under slavery. Scholars that estimate about 1.5 million Jewish people are in captivity in Egypt. Things aren't going well. Because all they know is slavery. They've never experienced any type of freedom. They're born into this. Many will die into this. Many of them will never experience the promised land. And so here we are in the store, and Moses comes in, and God gives him all these plagues. And the last one, he says, listen, tell the people 
to put blood above their doorpost. And then the death angel will come, and for those who have the blood of the lamb on the door, he will pass over their home and move on to the next. And so there's bloodshed. Moses sacrifices these lambs, the blood's placed over, the death angel skips the houses, passes over. Isn't that very creative? Just pass over. That was how we got the name. Moses will get him out of Egypt. He'll take him to the place that he met God, which is in Mount Sinai. So he gets the people to Mount Sinai, and, and he sets up this temple system. And every year they have a day of atonement where the, the sins of the people are confessed out loud to the high priest. Could y'all imagine doing that in here? Y'all want to do a day of atonement? That would be fun to start the year off. You just stand up, confess all your sins, and then we'll decide if we want to forgive those or not. That would not be fun for me. Um, sins are confessed out loud to the high priest, and the, he would then transfer the sins of the people onto the scapegoat. And that scapegoat would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. The, the goat would be cast outside of the city as to say that this, people are literally watching their sin go away. And then they would take a lamb into the Holy of Holies and they would shed its blood. And that blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat on the throne to cover the sins of the people. And this would be done every year. Let me, let me recap where we are. There was a sacrifice at the Garden of Eden. There was a, a sacrifice in Egypt for Passover. And there has been a sacrifice every year for the atonement of the people at the temple. And then this day, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the people. You will not have to go through all these sacrifices ever again because it's about to be a one and done deal. He's going to cleanse the sins of the entire world at one time. And you and I are going to have salvation and be in a relationship with Jesus. He has declared us righteous. Isn't that good? That should make you excited. Because we will not come before God in judgment. We will come before God because we have been covered by the sins of Jesus. And he will call us sons and daughters of the king. Because of what his blood has covered and done for us. This is, this is the baby Jesus that we worship. This is what he came for. In John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 30, he goes on, he says that this is he of, of whom I've said, talking about Jesus, and after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So even though he's here now, this is the Messiah, but he has always been. So it's not like he just magically appeared. He was in the beginning. He was there in Genesis chapter 1. When creation is happening, if you'll read the language, God said, let us create man in our image. That's more than one, right? It's the work of the Trinity in the very beginning. Jesus was there. He was there. He said, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, see, John knew again his role. I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to all of Israel. And John bore witness and said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. Now I want you to remember all this because we're going to come back to this in a minute. That I saw a Spirit descend on him from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. That's the anointing that Jesus had. It says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the guy. 
Now, what he's saying is, John is six months older than Jesus. But here in this passage, he's saying, I, I just want to get this out of, the, out of the way and let you know that this man right here is eternal. He may look as if he's in his 30s, but he's etern- he always has been. He just ages really, really well, or not at all. So John says, listen, my, my whole point, my whole purpose, my whole life purpose is to introduce people to Jesus. Like, for this moment, God placed me here on the earth to point people to this hope, to this one that was going to take away the sins of the people. And so I'm, I'm living out the very thing that I've been called to do. Listen, church, this morning, what I want to tell you is we have the same calling on us. It's to point people towards Jesus. It's not about us. It never has been about us. It is about Him. And we come into partnership with Him to usher in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. To share the, the, the gospel story with the people. So that they can have the relationship that Jesus paid such high price for them to be able to have this relationship with. Greatest Christmas gift anybody could ever receive would be that of Jesus. Of having that relationship with Him. And I love this because John is, John is recording the baptism of Jesus. And there are, there are three different details in all of the four Gospels. When we read this, they're all different perspectives. They all saw it differently, but they all came to the same conclusion. That John was just the guy pointing. He was just the guy. And if you'll go to John chapter 1, the John, not John the Baptist, but the John says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And he goes through and he goes, I'm not that guy. So even John picked up on this thought that I'm not the guy, I'm just the one that points you towards the guy. Right? So somebody asks you as a believer, what is your purpose? What is your responsibility? You say, I'm not the guy, I'm just the guy that points you towards the guy. That's a pretty good place to land, right? Because when we do that, he holds all those things together because he is before all things. Now, John the Baptist, you can say, is kind of a big deal. So he's preaching, his ministry's growing, he knows his role, he knows his place. He might be a little rough around the edges, but he's proclaiming the gospel. But then when we get into John chapter 3, there's some jealousy and some insecurities that begin to take place among John's disciples. And we see this, the story says now there, there was a discussion that arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They, they were arguing over religious jargon. And it says, they came to John, they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. He said, look, he's baptizing. They're, they're trying to rat Jesus out. John, you're, you're supposed to be the guy that's baptizing. Why is he baptizing all of a sudden? Why is he preaching your sermons? So he, he's, doing, he's doing the thing that you're doing. Like, this is about you. Why is he doing these things? Like, you need to go stop it because we're following you, not this guy. He said, this guy who you bore his witness, look, he's baptizing, and, and, and all are going to him. They're not coming to John, your ministry is dying. They're going to the bigger ministry, and they're leaving what you're doing. And John answered, a person can't, this is, this is an incredible response from John. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. In other words, if, if God wants me to have a ministry of two people, I'm going to be satisfied because that's what he's called me to do. 
And if he wants me to be in a million, then we have a million. And I will be satisfied in the purpose that he's called me to do. He says a person can't even receive one thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. In other words, anything that we have wasn't from us anyway. It was from the Father. It's from the Father. He goes on in verse 28. He says that you yourselves bear me witness that I said... Like, I want to make sure that you understood what I said, because I said what I said. He said, I am not the Christ. Don't be putting that on me, because I'll let you down. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I have been sent. So, he says that the one who, who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Did you get that? John saying, it's not me. I don't, I, don't get, I don't need all this satisfaction and people praising me. It's not about me. My joy has been made complete because I'm pointing people this way. I'm pointing people towards who Jesus is. And, and here's, a, here's a very impactful verse right here. I would say memorize this. This was the, when I was in youth group, my youth pastor took me to the side and I said, I feel like I'm supposed to do ministry. He said, learn this verse, live this verse, and then get back with me. But he says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's putting Jesus before all things. Our wants, our desires, our needs, that is putting Jesus in the place that he is supposed to be before all things. I have to decrease so that Jesus can increase. What a powerful statement. There's an insecurity among the disciples. And John's having to, to fix this because they, they want places of power. They're living in a culture that's a place of power. And they find this contentment. Because John tells them, you can't give me what God is not, and you can't keep from me what God has. You can't keep from me what God has. If you can believe this, then you'll have no jealousy. If you can believe that everything that you get is from God and, and nobody can keep what God wants you to have, you will not have to worry about jealousy because you'll find contentment. Contentment will cure you from comparison. It will cure you from complaining. It will uh, it, cure a lot of things. When we just find ourselves content in the things that Jesus has for us. Because contentment will force you to rejoice when other people are blessed. This is why John's able to say, it's about that guy. And I don't care if we shut the doors to the ministry tomorrow. People are flooding the Jesus. My job is done. Because I am content in my relationship with Jesus that I don't need all these things. And I recognize where they come from. If we can embrace that, we call that peace. Peace. And that's what Jesus came to give us, isn't it? We lit a peace candle. Because our peace comes from our contentment and who he is. So John is saying, my ministry's in decline, but I'm okay. I'm okay, because it's about the one that has come to us. Now, I was thinking about this when I was reading the groomsman piece of this verse. What if the groomsman at your wedding made the whole wedding about them ladies what would you have done the groomsmen decided that instead of here comes the bride that they walk down to their own songs they stand beside you 
They're in every photo. I mean, when we leave a wedding, who are we talking about? The bride was so beautiful. Nobody talking about the groom. What? He had a nice tux. Oof. You know, we're talking about the bride, how beautiful she is, how beautiful her dress was. That's what we're supposed to be saying anyway, not like, ugh, you know, she didn't look so good in that dress. That's not what you're supposed to do. But the bride is the centerpiece. It's the centerpiece. Could you imagine us walking away, talking about, as a groomsman, walking away going, did you see how great I did? Like, I walked down that aisle with swagger. Do you see how my suit looked, my tux? I had a crease in my pants all the way down. It was perfect. Do you see how shiny my shoes were? How ridiculous would you think that I was if I left a wedding, making the wedding that I wasn't even involved in, but just as a groomsman making it about myself? How crazy would that look? Can you imagine us coming to church, leaving, talking about how great we are? How ridiculous that would look? And I say this, I say this with, with a heart behind it. I pray that you never walk away from here talking about how great a sermon was, how great a song was. I pray that you walk out of this place going how great the encounter with Jesus was. Because you'll forget the sermon and you'll forget the song, but you won't forget the encounter that you'll have with Jesus. Because sermons don't hold all things together. Worship songs don't hold all things together. Kids crafts, you've seen them, they definitely don't even hold together. But Jesus holds all things together. So why would we want to point people towards us when we can point them towards Jesus? John gets this. He's not leaving the wedding going, look at, look at what I did. He's pointing to the bride. And so he says, this is what fills me with joy. This is what makes me feel like I'm, I'm successful and I understand I feel that way, and the reason I feel that way is because I've realized that Jesus has to be the one that increases, and I have to decrease. He needs to be put on the throne. I need to resign as the CEO of my life and give that back to Jesus where it belongs. He, he's got to be right along with me, in front of me, leading me, guiding me, caring for me. Because there's a lot of times in our culture what we see is I do want Jesus to increase, but as Jesus increases, I want to be right there near him. If not beside him, at least somewhere around the same thing. Because we, we're control freaks by nature. We have to control things. And he's saying, what I need is absolute surrender. I need you to drop down. I need you to drop down. Because I, I want to accomplish things, and I don't want you to allow yourself to try to enter in and do things that you're not even called to do, and, and I'm not ready for you to do. I, I've got a plan for you. You've got to trust, trust the plan. But we live in this place of self-fulfillment, that there are things that I want, there are things that I need to, to feel fulfilled, right? But the problem with self-fulfillment is the gospel. That's the problem with self-fulfillment. Because the gospel is all about self-denial. It's not about me. It's for Jesus. My preferences are out of the window. I, I want to do what he tells me to do. I want to be guided you can say it this way, that the baseline for the gospel is self-denial. That's our starting point. Think about, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, that whoever finds his life, they'll, they'll lose it. And whoever, or they'll, they'll lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says in Luke 9, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross, follow me. Follow me, it's self-denial. 
self-denial. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. Not that I shall live, but that he should live. You see the self-denial in these verses? Like the humility that it takes to carry a cross, to recognize that we have been crucified with Jesus. And we didn't even have to be inflicted with that pain that he was inflicted with. See, this puts us with odds with our culture because we find our increase in the increase. But Jesus says, no, you find your increase in the decrease. Because when you are living in the way that you're supposed to, everything holds together. And I'm in the place that I need to be. And I'll take care of you. Did you know that everything that happens in your life, whether good or bad, Jesus is not caught off guard by that thing. He's not going, ooh, gosh, I didn't see that one coming. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. He's got it figured out. What he asks us to do, if we'll decrease and get to a place where we can hear him, he'll speak to us. Let me not even say that. He's always speaking to us. We've got to get ourselves in a position to be able to hear from him because a lot of times we let the wrong voices get in our heads. See, John had some wrong voices trying to get in his head. You going to let Jesus just do this? You going to let him keep taking people from your church? Yeah. Because I know my role, I know his role. I, I know the rightful place. Let me, let me wrap up a few things. In, in John 30, 36, he says that he's the only one. He says that whoever believes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And John's like, listen, he's the only one that can give this eternal life. John the Baptist said, if you follow me, you're just going to get wet. I'm just going to baptize you. But if you'll follow Jesus, you'll get eternal life. You'll find your life. You think you're living now, you will find your life when you begin to follow him. And I want to tell you something. You would think that John the Baptist's life from here on out was incredible, but it doesn't go well for John the Baptist. You see, he's going to go to prison because he was preaching the gospel when he stepped on Herod's toes because he told him that there's some things in your life that you shouldn't be doing. For instance, you shouldn't be sleeping with your sister-in-law. That's not good. And so he gets arrested, and he's put in prison. And one night, Herod's having a party, and the Bible says that his niece is dancing provocatively before him, and he's like, wow, this is great, which is weird. And he says, listen, what can I give you? I want to give you a gift for your dance. She said, well, and she consults with her mom. Her mom comes back and says, what you should ask for is John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, you think you've gotten some bad Christmas gifts. Open that one. That's what she asked for. So John's now about to have his head chopped off because he was only speaking the truth. And everything that he's done, he's baptized Jesus. He recognized who God was. He realized that many of these prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi were about him. All these things happen. And his head's about to be chopped off. And he's in jail for the truth. So in Matthew 11, John sends his disciples to Jesus. And he says, I want you to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one? Are you the one? Now, didn't we just talk about how solid he was on that answer? But here he is facing death, just wanting to know. I just need to know that I know. Are you the one? And so they send this message to Jesus. Like, Listen, your cousin John, he's, he's, he's in prison. It's not going well. But he has a question for you. He says, are you 
the one. And Jesus gives them an answer, and Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 here, which is the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And, he, and Jesus begins quoting this and giving him promises. Jesus gives him every one of the promises of who he is. And I found this interesting. Out of all the prophecies that Jesus gave from Isaiah 61, he gives every one of them but one. He gets all the promises but one. The one that he didn't get was the promise that he's going to set the captives free. They go back and they tell John. John gets his head chopped off. Jesus didn't, didn't come to his rescue. When that prophecy came back, John knew what Isaiah 61 was. And as they're counting the prophecies of who the Messiah is, he's going, yep, check, check, check. Where's the captive set free thing? He ain't coming. And the next thing that John would hear would be the voice of his father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, John never apologized because Jesus was more than enough for him. He was content in that. He knew his role in that. John believed Jesus was before all things, before every preference, before every need, that Jesus was before all things. I'm going to give you a couple of um, fill-in-the-blanks here because I know that your, your blood pressure is starting to go up. I'm like, I didn't get any of these blanks filled in. Let me help you out here. If, if Christ is going to be all things in your life, there's three things that you need to be focused on. Number one, you need to know his purpose to introduce people to Jesus. That's what your purpose is. Now, I'm not asking you to go to Starbucks and start handing out tracts and saying, do you know where you're going to go if you got hit by a car out in that parking lot? Because it's very possible at our Starbucks. Just having spiritual conversations with people. Just, how you doing? Not well. What do you mean by that? You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to lead them through a 15-point deal. You got to let the Holy Spirit guide because the only one that can save them is the Holy Spirit. It's not you. You have to hear from the Spirit and have these conversations with people. If you want to put Christ before all things, know your purpose is to introduce people to Jesus. The second thing is he has to increase and you have to decrease. I don't think I need to say anything else about that. But we do need to be constantly scanning our life of going, where, where, do, where, does, where do I need to decrease myself here? Where am I trying to play the part of God? And number three would be this, at the end of my life, that I would know that he is my treasure. John could have asked for a lot of things on death row, but the one thing he wanted was a word from God because that was his most important thing, his relationship with Jesus. So as we, not just towards Christmas, but towards the rest of our lives, my, my prayer is, is that we would realize he has to be before all things. I lived a life where I thought that it was me and Jesus that I had some control, that I had all the right metrics, that these things were going right, so these things must be right, until I realized that the kingdom that was being built was not Jesus' kingdom at all, that I was building my kingdom. And I love, like our church, our, our whole deal of being together, we say that our whole purpose is to introduce people to Jesus and together Help them follow him. That's discipleship. And that's why we exist as a church, and that's why we exist as a people. No need in complicating it, giving us some big, long vision, when God was very clear that our purpose is to introduce people to his son. 
And I just pray that this week that, um, that you'll be able to find that in conversations. I pray that he will give you conversations to have. And I can tell you this, that if you'll pray and say, God, just, just make me aware today of the, the conversations happening around me. Show me where your Holy Spirit is at work. And I promise you, he'll do that. He'll answer that prayer. And I know your next thing will be, well, what happens if that happens? I don't know what to say. Well, the good news is he already said in the scripture that he'll give you the words. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak when it's time to speak. And it'll be better than anything that you could have written down or scripted. It's amazing how that works. But I want to pray for you today and just ask that, that God would be very um, just aggressive in your life to break down some of the things that you've put before him so that he can give you the peace that he's come to bring us and that you can have the relationship that he's come to bring us. So Father, I thank you so much today. I just pray for every person in this room that we would, we, we hear the words of Paul, that we would put you before all things, all things. You hold everything together. And Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to let go of things that we want to control, but I just pray that we'll realize that by us holding, we're, 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 there's a blockage and there's a blockage and it needs to be released. And when it is, God, your blessings flow. Your word flows, your message flows. And I just pray today that you would just completely decimate anything in our lives that is keeping us from you. That we can see you for who you are. That we'll decrease and that you will increase and we'll make much of who you are. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?